Father, I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be opened. And what I mean, Lord, is that somehow we could actually see so much is uncertain in life, so much is confusing, so much of this spiritual journey seems that we just, we, we get it through osmosis, but today, Lord, may there be a stark advance, uh, a jump forward in our understanding as we see clearly. Open our eyes, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, Oprah had a woman on her show, and what she does is she encourages people online every day, on Facebook, on Twitter, and she has this amazing gift. The way she sees the world, the, the, the way she describes life, ordinary things like cooking with family or, uh, or, or the sun on her face or, or just, just the surprising beauty of each day. And she communicates with joy and she, she writes to people and uplifts them and encourages them so much so that Oprah brings her on her show uh, to find out more about how she can have such an amazing perspective. The most powerful thing about this story is that the woman is blind. And it just goes to prove the point, and I share that story with you, that, uh, that uh, you can be blind and still have a better perspective on life than most people. There is something about the perspective that we choose. You can take two people, put them in the same job. One person goes to work whistling, the other person is going to work whining. One person is going to work just complaining and saying, you know, this is a horrible job and I hate the boss and I hate, uh, you know, the... I hate these policies and it's all politics. The next person coming through the same front door, same parking lot, walks in and God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this amazing place that I work. Thank you for my friends here. Thank you for what you've done. Uh, Somebody sees singleness as a curse and so they go home and they complain. I'm all alone, no one to talk to, no one to help with any of the tasks. I have to do it all by myself. I have to interact with nobody but me. This is a curse to be alone. Another person goes home to the same house and says, God, thank you for the gift of peace. Thank you that I'm here alone. Thank you that no one's here to bother me. I can come when I want to come. I can go when I want to go. No one's telling me what to do. Thank you, God, for this gift that you've given me of living all by myself. And it's just amazing how perspective is an incredible choice. Now, here's the thing. All of us uh, know that greatness, I don't know if you know this, but greatness is a choice. It doesn't happen just by chance, that the only difference between you and the person that you admire and you say, I'd like to be like, is the perspective that they've chosen in which to see life. And so I've been talking to you about there's none so blind as those who won't see. People who think that the way they see things are the way that it is. I don't know if you've ever been guilty of this, but you say, that's just the way it is. And that's just your view. It's just your perspective. But there's so many people that think that the way they see life is just the way that it is, and it's just a choice. That's the perspective you've chosen. And that God has a different perspective on almost everything that you look at. And so what's so important for us to be successful is that we will say, God, I want your sight. I want your vision. I want to see as you see. Give me uh, the eyes of faith. And so Moses is leading some very blind people who have every reason to believe. The whole idea of taking these people out of slavery is is God wants to give these people a different view. You've only had the view of a slave. You've only had the view of fear and domination. I want to teach you about a father that can be trusted. So he leads them out of the bondage of Egypt in incredible demonstrations of his power leads them out of Egypt uh, with, with all of these obstacles. It's not easy. It's over a two-year period of time, one dead-end scenario after another. But God's saying, look, I promise you that I 
will be with you, and I promise you that I will never uh, let you down, and I have a future I'm taking you to. Trust me. I'm teaching you how to have eyes of faith. And so you would think that over the, the, the sequential number of experiences they've been through, they would be able to say, you know what? We still can't see our way clear. Everything's just as uncertain as it's always been. We don't know how God's going to provide, but you know what? God's been with us before, and he's made a way where there was no way, and so we choose to see the situation we're in now by faith. That's where God wanted them to be when he brought them to the promised land, and he leads them there. Moses sends some spies out into the land, and you know the story now, how, how they all came back, two of them, Caleb and Joshua, having seen with the eyes of faith, we can do this, God is with us, we don't know how we'll accomplish and beat all these giants, but the land is good, let's go. But 10 came back, having seen with the eyes of fear, and there's something about the eyes of fear that's very contagious, and it is like an airborne flu, and it's a scarcity mindset that's swept through the entire camp of people, and before long, all of them said, we cannot do this. And they began to blame uh, everyone and everything, even blaming God. Why would you bring us out here to die? Refusing to go into the land that God had promised them. And Hebrews chapter 3 tells us that, that these people did not go into the destiny God had for them simply because they refused to see. They refused to see what God, where God was taking them. I want you to know this is so important, that God wants you to see spiritually that he has a good plan for your life, a hope and a future. No matter how old you are in this room today, no matter how young you are, God is still working all things together for good. The Bible talks about how he has an inheritance for you that, that you have obtained already by faith, that he, it was his good pleasure and his purpose to give to you, that he, he, gives, he designs that purpose according to the counsel of his own will. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. But so many people don't see it. Forty years later, after these people are wandering in the wilderness, and they've all died except for two, Joshua and Caleb, now a new generation is faced with the same choice. Will you guys see what I wanted your parents to see? And I want to bring you back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and just again look at the choice. This was the choice all along, and it's our choice today. Look at these verses. Today, God says, I set before you life and prosperity, death or destruction. If you love the Lord your God and you walk in his ways, you keep his commands. That means I don't understand why you're telling me to do this. It makes no sense to me. It's difficult or painful, but God, you know what? I'm going to trust you and do what you say. If you do this, then you'll live, you'll increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land wherever you go. How would you like that to happen in your life? That wherever you go, just, just sort of the default meter is success because I'm walking in his ways. I'm thinking his thoughts. I'm seeing the way he sees. But if your heart turns away from me, if you say, I can't see it, if you say, I'm going to do what I want to do, if you decide to, to drift away from God's commands and his principles, then there is no guarantee of success. In fact, it says you won't live long in the land you're, you're going to enter. Now, I've set before you today life or death, blessings or curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live. Now, listen to me. You, you choose life because the decisions you make are going to affect the children that come after you. This is not some theoretical like church talk. This is about real life. When you're at home with your wife and the, and the walls are coming, are caving in and there's conflict and there's problems and you don't know what to do and you're thinking that it's all over and the decisions you're making right now with the eyes of faith or the eyes of fear are going to affect you 
and your children. This is what he's saying. Will you choose life or will you choose the cursed life? And so Caleb and Joshua, they take the challenge. They said, we have been in the desert for 40 years. We don't want to do that again. We saw it the first time. We believe and we're going in. And God, for the first uh, three chapters of Joshua, starts to build up their faith. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm with you wherever you go. And that's a good thing because Joshua's looking at the problems, the complexity. He's looking at insurmountable obstacles that he would have to cross. He's looking at giants in the land. And he hasn't been told how it's all going to work out. But Joshua and Caleb say, we're going to follow the Lord as for me and my house. Well, the first 14 chapters of the book of Joshua, or the first 13 chapters, are one success story after another. As they go into battle against overwhelming odds, and every time God defeats the enemy for them, beginning with Jericho when he brings the walls down. For the next five years that are covered in those 13 chapters, they have success every time. 31 kings are defeated in chapters 1 through 13. And God gives them success wherever they go, even though the odds are stacked against them. So in chapter 14, Caleb comes to Joshua, and they have this little conversation with each other, which is recorded for us. And they talk about where they've been and what they've seen and what lies ahead and what they've learned. And we want to drop into that conversation as people who are looking for for how do you have the eyes of faith. Look at this conversation. Let's drop in on it. Uh, Verse 6 of chapter 14. Caleb says to Joshua, do you remember the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me when when we were in Kadesh? That's that, that spot before we were about to go into the promised land. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. You were there, remember? And, And I brought back the word as it was in my heart. I didn't hold back. I was truthful. Uh, what was in my heart. Nevertheless, our brothers who went with us, they made the heart of the people melt. But I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Listen to that. Underline that or circle that in your Bible. I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses promised on that day, uh, on that day, saying, surely everywhere your feet go in this land, you will possess it. You and your children, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And then he says, and behold, now the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years. Listen, 40 years we wandered in the desert together. Five years now we have fought the battles together. I've been hanging on to God's promise by faith. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Now here I am on this day, 85 years old. (laughs) Yet I'm as strong on this day as the day Moses sent me out. My strength as it was then, so it is now for war, for coming in and going out. Now, therefore, give me the mountain that the Lord spoke to me in that day. You know the mountain where the giants live? You know the mountain where they had the biggest fortified cities? Give me that mountain because that's the one I want for my inheritance. And I I bet the Lord is still going to be with me as he was before. And I'll be able to drive out the inhabitants and take possession of this land. Give me this mountain. And so Joshua gives it to him. That's how I'm going to be at 85. That's how I want you to be. I want to be at 85 years old going, there's still one more hill to climb. There's still one more obstacle. There's still one more thing that I can do for God. This is a picture of a life that says I'm hanging on to the promises of God. I've proven the acceptable and perfect will of the Lord. There is no turning back for me. Bring on the next fight because I've proven that he's true. This is what it's like. That's the mentality. That's the eyes of faith. That's the picture. 
And so he sees this vision in his heart, and he never lets it go. And he walks with God all of his life, and he says, I didn't conform to all of these other people who said it couldn't be done. I was different. I had a different spirit, a different perspective than they did. So now I want the promise that God has. Now see, listen, God has that for you, and he has that for me. And I want all of what God has for me in this life. I don't want to settle for, for, for less than. I don't want to wander. I don't want to just drift. And, and the ability to achieve the preferred future he has for you and me is contingent upon whether or not we'll have eyes to see by faith. So, so how do I have eyes of faith in an uncertain world. Okay, here are the four prescriptions from Romans chapter 12. If we'll jump there. Let me just take you verse by verse and show you exactly what the word of God says. Here's how you, here's how you succeed and be like Caleb. Number one, the first principle, the first prescription is commit your whole life to God. Now that seems obvious at first. You would expect me to say that. But let me explain what I mean. Commit your whole life to God. Look at this, Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present yourself, you present your bodies, your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's, in other words, it's reasonable after all God has done for you that you would present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, notice he doesn't say, give your heart to Jesus. You hear that all the time. Give him your heart. Give him... Give him your soul. Give him your heart. Listen, he says, give your body. And I think it's pretty significant because have you ever heard anybody ever say, um, you know, I can't be there tomorrow, but I'll be with you in spirit. You ever heard anybody say that? You ever heard that phrase, I'll be with you in spirit? You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> you can't be anywhere in spirit. You can be there in your body or you cannot be there. But you, you're going to, wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you say, uh, who, who you are happens inside of the body. There is no separation. You can't compartmentalize. And I think that's what Paul was saying here. He says, you can't, you can't say, well, these are my beliefs and my faith and then this is what I do. You can't have this divorce from your actions and, and your faith. You can't have it all compartmentalized. You, you've seen this, right? People who say, well, I'm a very spiritual person, but nothing about their life looks like they're in any way devoted to God. I mean, in their behavior, but they will tell you, oh, I'm very spiritual. I have it inside. I believe it. Well, Paul's saying you can't compartmentalize. He's saying offer your whole, like all of you, your, your, your words, your belief, your speech, everything that you say, your actions, give your whole life to God. In other words, be like Caleb who said, I was wholly devoted to God. I mean, I, didn't, I was all in. I put it all on the altar, all on the table, all of me, no holding back. You see, you can't just audit Christianity a Sunday or two a month, just kind of take it into your mind and not let it affect your lifestyle and your behavior and then wonder, why is there still so much pain and difficulty? Why am I not walking into the blessing? You might even be cynical about what I'm saying today because you're just going, well, I've been in a church all my life and I've never seen the blessings of God like you're describing. Well, are you a wholly committed, have you sold out everything and said, Lord, everything I have, all of me, my, my life, my body, my speech, my finances, all of me, it's all yours. Because you've got to be wholly committed for this to work. I got, a, I got an email this week 
from a lady named, I'll call her Leah, and she was just saying, you know, I am completely uh, sad. I, I moved out from my boyfriend. We were living together, and now it's so sad. I'm hurting in my heart, and pray for me because God's not listening to me. And she assumed that because I'm the pastor, God listens to me and wouldn't listen to her. And so she's asking me to pray for her. Well, I wrote her back and I assured her, listen, God is listening to you. God is not far from you. He's near to the brokenhearted. He'll, he'll answer you and he'll talk to you. But you assume that because you're still in pain is, is an indication that God's not listening. And, and you need to separate the two. God is listening, but the reason why you're in pain is because of the consequences of, of choices you make. I mean, God says, right, you can choose the way of life or you can choose uh, your own path. You can choose my way, uh, or the blessed life, or you can choose the cursed life. And so, you know, hey, if you're living with your boyfriend, like, like the whole idea of God saying that sex is reserved for the marriage commitment, it, that's the way of God, Right? And the reason why he says that is because there's something really holy about sex. There's the, the idea that, that God takes two people and he makes them one. It is a spiritual union. This is, this is a holy thing that's re, that is the super glue, the bonding agent. The, there's something supernaturally bonding about, that, about, about sex in a marriage relationship. So, so without the commitment and, and the relationship ends and, and it's not meant to last or it, it doesn't last because it's not an all-in kind of a situation. It's just kind of a, you know, we're kind of half in, but we're, you know what I'm saying? There's just this ripping that takes a place on the soul level, which is why it's so painful, which is God, why God says not to judge you, but he says, I hate divorce because I know the ripping that occurs. There's nothing more painful than the living death of divorce. So God is saying, this is not what I want for you. So as I understand it, as I, as I understand the scriptures, you know, anything outside of a man and a woman in a marriage commitment, that, that's not going to be the best for you. It's not what's right. It's not the way of the Lord. And so you're experiencing pain in your body because of what you've done. That doesn't mean that God is not listening to you. It's just that that path is not the way of God. Now, listen to me, friends. Some of you are saying, well, I don't agree with you, or I disagree, or I don't like what you're saying. You know what's great about that is that you have that choice. That's the beauty of it. God gives you the choice to say, you choose or not. I mean, I won't treat you any different. I love you just the same. You get the choice to choose. But, but 20 years of being a pastor, and my understanding of God's word says, if we're talking about things that lead to success and life and, and joy and peace and prosperity, then there's a way to follow. Or you can choose your own path. And he says here, he says, he doesn't say you have to. He says, present your body as a living sacrifice, meaning it's voluntary. Nobody can make you do this. This is, this is something that you have to choose. You can't make anybody change. And, uh, and, and I can't make you change, and you can't make your kids change, and you can't make your parents change. I, I, I've done a lot of weddings, and I've seen the bride, you know, just thinking the whole time, if I just get him to the altar, then I'll alter him, you know? And it's like, it's not going to work. It doesn't work like that. You can't change anybody. This is a, this is something that, that you decide to do. It's a daily choice where you say, God, I want to give you my whole life. That's why he calls it a living sacrifice. As you are living Keep sacrificing your way to his way. This isn't something you do in 1995 and it's done with. I mean, this is a daily choice. God, I've drifted. God, I'm getting off track. But God, I choose your... And, and this is for everyday living. This is for when the roof uh, caves in. And this is for when, you know, there's tension in your marriage. And when your kids aren't serving the Lord. And you've got to decide what your behavior is going to be. Will you choose the eyes of faith? God, I give you my whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. 
That's a choice you make. Let me give you the others really quickly. Number two, concentrate on renewing my mind. Verse two, it's the second verse in the second prescription. He says, and don't be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Don't be conformed. He's saying, don't copy what everybody else does. Don't just copy the culture. Don't just copy the view of the culture. You, ever, you remember how much crazy, stupid, dumb, unhealthy stuff we've done in our lives just because we were copying somebody else? If we could tell some stories, and all the only reason we did it was because, well, everybody was doing it, so, you know, I just kind of, it was the cool thing to do. Well, what, bad, bad company corrupts good character, the Proverbs say. So, so the question is, 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 have you ever stopped to think about who it is you're copying? I mean, we all learn from our models, and some of us had some bad models, didn't have a godly father, didn't have a godly mother, had a really bad model for how we were supposed to handle conflict, really bad model about the words that come out of our mouth, or a really bad model about how relationships work or parenting works. And so who is your model? Who are you copying? Who's, what's, what is the source for, for this is the way life works? You see, there's only one perfect model. There's only one person that we can, with all, uh, with all of our hearts, say that's the person that, that is going to be pleasing to God, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the only model. This is why I talked to you last week about when, when is the year that you will say, you know what, I'm really going to become a man or a woman of God's word. How, how can you follow after Jesus? I mean, Jesus says this, right, to his, to his disciples, his, his followers. He says, follow me. Like, leave your nets like, leave the stuff that you've conformed to all of your life and leave your nets and follow me. So how are you going to follow me if you don't really have a vision of who I am? You've got to get to know Christ. You've got to understand who he is and what he said and what he's like. One of the things we learned from Jesus is that he spoke the scripture all the time. That when he was tempted, he fought those battles by speaking the word of God. That when he needed to share wisdom, it was the word of God that would come out of his mouth. There's like 7,000 promises in the Bible that you and I could, could, could claim and say, I know what the situation looks like, but this is what God has promised. And so when I, when I want my mind to be renewed, if I have the model of Jesus and I have the word of God, God is going to transform me. I'm going to change because I have a different model. Does this make sense? And I'm not just copying after the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Number three, the third prescription, verse three, he says, Humbly uh, evaluate your current condition. Make a commitment. God, I'm going to commit to you. God, I want you to renew my mind, and let's also get real about my present condition. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay, that's humility. But rather think of yourselves or evaluate yourselves with sober judgment. Uh, The New Living Translation says, "Have, have an honest estimate of who you are in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. You know, um, I don't know what it is about me, but I'm like everybody else. I want to impress you every week, and I want everybody to be impressed. We want people to be impressed with us. We don't want to be seen anything less than we are. And so there's so much that calls us to pretend, and there's so much that calls us to, to have it all together. But the truth is, nobody has it all together. I don't. Uh, you don't have it all together. The Pope doesn't have it all together. There's nobody that has it all together But why do we think that we have to present that everything's perfect? See, the number one barrier to to us changing and becoming like Jesus is our recognition that, yeah, there's something that needs to change. 
I'm humbly honest about that. What if you could actually, in a spirit of no condemnation, actually just say, you know what, um, here's the things that need to change. And you didn't like feel squashed or depressed, like, oh, I'm so mad at myself. What if you could just simply share, you know what, this is it. You need to understand something that um, you sin and do things that are wrong because you are a sinner, because it's part of your life, because it's part of my life. That's like, that's like getting mad at the sun because it's hot, you know? I mean, like the sun is hot because it's the sun, and, and this is the way we are, and God knows that about you and me. God's not up there trying to judge you for your sins, but he's just saying, would you get honest with yourself? Would you just, will you honestly ask yourself the question, what is it that needs to change? Where are you stuck? Where, where do you need to move past? What is the same habits? I mean, do you have enough courage to, to, to confront that in yourself and really to let some other people talk into that? Do you have any friends that will, that will help you make the right choices? See, I'm convinced I can settle for less than God's best for me if I want. I can settle for less than the plan by just simply closing off certain pieces and saying this is a no-fly zone for anybody and this is a no-fly zone for me. So the question is, if I want God's best, am I willing to let God work in every area of my life? Can I, can I choose to see transformation? Like, I think that God could change this. Or am I going to spend the rest of my life in defeat and with this is never going to change and I can't ever be good enough and the problems are too big and this marriage will never work and on and on we go? Can we, can we possibly see with the eyes of faith? See, Jesus said, according to your faith, it'll be done to you. And this is what this verse says, according to the measure of your faith. All right? So how do I get more faith? By hearing of the word. And sometimes that word has got to come through people that have been in our life long enough to know what to say. I want to share with you a story from someone in our church and listen to this, and listen uh, and watch for it along the way. Watch for the perspective choices that these folks made in their moment of crisis. Take a look. We've been married for 10 years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Going on 11 years. On a scale of one to 10, I would say are the issues within our marriage uh, elevated to a 10 yeah. and pretty quickly, if not an 11. <laughs> At the height of our uh, problems, I ended up having an affair uh, towards the end of 2005. Then in January of 2006, I had sat down with Aletha and, and told her I wanted a divorce, uh, that I didn't love her. And uh, I think sometime after that, I shared with her that there's another woman and she was pregnant. Initially, uh, when he told me, I felt this heavy sorrow on, come up on me. And then quickly thereafter, I was like, wait a minute, what am I gonna do? You know, and that's when I really, the anger just turned on. After the time that I told her about the affair, the lady which actually had the affair with was actually the teacher of our son. Upon finding out about the affair, my wife dropped my son off at school one day. With it was the next morning. The, the next, next morning. morning. And I'm praying all the way there that the Lord's going to guide me in my words and my actions. And I prayed all the way there. Steady breath. And I walked on over there and I said, you know that I know. And before she could really fix her lips to say anything, 
um, coming around with the right hand. Once they separated us and um, I stood up and I just broke down. I just was, I, I had to make sure that I was in a position to where I totally relied on God because my anger would have completely wiped anything out that God wanted to do. Even though I had been praying, the anger was still there. I didn't realize that I was going to do that because that was not, my whole mindset is to do what God wants me to do in this moment. And I know that that wasn't it. His mom, she was just the one who really had me. I mean, she was just like, you have to pray over him. And when he sleep at night, you pray over him and pray over that pillow when he's not there. So I ran into a friend of ours and he began, in essence, counseling me. Upon the completion of my conversation with him, I knew I had to honor my commitment to God and honor my commitment with my wife. As soon as he told me that he was going to honor his commitment with God, he could have stopped at that because if, I mean, with him honoring his commitment with God, everything else was going to fall into place. Shortly thereafter, I came across Heartland Church, and upon the first visit, we knew this was the place for us. Day by day, we let anger go. We let resentment go. We let uh, trust issues go. And it has brought us to a point today to whereas we can communicate without pointing fingers. Uh, we can hug without uh, thinking about the past and having an affect our present relationship. We found that the key to a successful marriage is serving each other. And I made the decision to have the affair and put her in a, in a very difficult situation. I'm the man in, in the relationship, but she has chosen to forgive me and to continue to walk with me. Our relationship is just completely different. It's amazing how God can take such a terrible situation and just birth something beautiful out of it. The perspective they chose was the difference maker. And maybe you've been saying, God, change the situation. And maybe he's saying to you, you need to change your perspective of the situation. And trust me, you think about the choices that were made. I made a choice. God, change my attitude. Make my attitude right. A choice to forgive. There was a choice when someone confronted and said, you need to honor your commitment. There was a choice to submit to the word of God. There's so many choices in this story that allowed people to start, that allowed Adam and Aletha to see with the eyes of faith. And I think back to that scripture when it talks about, you know, the choices you make aren't just for you, but they're for your children. Can you imagine, to, like today, knowing this family, and they, they serve in ministry, uh, Adam and Aletha, they lead in our middle school ministry. And what God has done in their life is nothing short of a miracle. God has, God has had a preferred future for them. He had a destiny for them that in the natural they could have never seen. And so you've got to surround yourself with some people in your life that have the same desire as you. And if you would say, God, I want to wholeheartedly follow you. And you put some people around you that say, I have that same desire. I want to wholeheartedly follow Christ. 
And then together, God gives you the ability to shape each other's life. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing of the word. So you need more word than just what I share with you on Sundays. You need to hear that from each other. You need to hear that inspiration. You need to hear that encouragement. You need that challenge. That's why in the fourth verse of this passage in Romans, Paul just naturally says, so uh, just as our bodies have many parts, each of us and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of one body. Each of us has a different work to do. And since we're all in this body in Christ, look at this, we belong to each other and each of us needs the others. Now, I'm not saying this to you. This is God saying this. You need each other. Now, there are days in my life when I love that verse. And there are days in my life I don't really like that verse. There's days that I don't really want to, to say I really need anybody. I mean, as a man, I want to go, you know what, I think I'm smart enough, and if I read the Bible, and if I study, and if I just i am disciplined enough, I can do whatever I need to do. But there are some things in your life and mine that will never move, and God will allow to stay in place, no matter how much discipline or how much knowledge or how much word that we have, that will not move until we come into community with some other Christians, because there's something so humbling about that and there's something so good about that and there's something about experiencing God's love and his power in community that will never get alone. That's why uh, the fourth uh, principle here is to commit to the body of Christ. Some of you have been committed to Jesus all of your life but you've never really made a commitment to be a part of a family, a local family, to be a part of a small group. And so we're going to be taking this journey over the next... um, the next, in three weeks, on February the 10th, and we're going to go into this new uh, series on what on earth am I here for, and this is going to be something, this is going to be the greatest spiritual emphasis we've ever done. I want every person in our church family to connect with one another for six weeks to do this series together. I'm going to be preaching about discovering your purpose, discovering your calling. What on earth did God put you here for? And then during the week, you'll have a daily reading to read by yourself, but then there are six small group lessons that we can study together in community. Now, last week, I asked for uh, 40 people to open up their homes so that we could have group opportunities for everybody. I had 32 people respond in one Sunday. So we have 32 groups that are open right now with people ready to, you know, to, to, to connect with you. And that means there's just eight more people that I would love to have you say, listen, I'll, I'll open up my home. Maybe you were considering it last week and you weren't sure. We just need you to close the gap. Eight more homes to open up where you won't have to do anything more than put on a DVD, serve some snacks and some drinks, and just invite people in. And then here's the thing, folks. You just, for the next six weeks, you come together with one purpose, to love one another. To love one another. Not to fix one another. Not to try to counsel each other. Not to try to... Make everybody think like you think. In fact, I hope that you get into a group with a lot of diversity. In fact, that's one of the best things about Heartland Churches is the diversity that we have. We have, it's multi-ethnic church, it's multi-generational church. We are from all these different church backgrounds, all these different streams. And so you need to be around some people that came from a different background than you. 
Some of you Lutherans need to be with some Catholics, and Catholics need to be with some Baptists, and some Presbyterians need to be with some Methodists, and no church people with people that have been in church. And some of you need to see life through, and God's word through African-American eyes, and some of you through Latino eyes and white eyes. I mean, we need this together. Some of you who are single need to see, you know, what it's like to be around healthy married relationships. And, you know, get in a group with all singles, and when it's time to pray, that word pray has a different meaning, you know, and I, I, I'm just... I just want you to be in a healthy environment for six weeks, okay? Can I just be real? So let's everybody get together for six weeks to say we want to grow. And I want you just to practice the greatest commandment. Outdo each other in love towards one another for these six weeks. And let's, let's really grow together. The third thing I want you to do is to pray for one person, specifically between now and, and Easter, who does not know Christ. I mean, not your aunt or your grandma that goes to a different church. I mean, somebody that is far from Jesus that needs to know who he is. And I want you to pray with, with me for that person every single day. Now, we need more Joshua's and Caleb's, men and women, people who will say, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. As as for me and my house, I will wholeheartedly serve Christ. God, I want your sight to be my sight. I need to see things. I need to think like you think. I need to have my thoughts changed. That's, that's what we need. If we're going to be God's people for right now in this hopeless, dark, negative world, and God knows this is the time for us to shine right now. This is the greatest opportunity we've ever had. Let's grow like we've never grown before. Are you guys with me in this? Can we do this? All right, let me pray for you. Now, Lord, I just pray for this simple prayer. I don't want to go another day without you in my life. Maybe that's your prayer. God, I don't want to go one more day kind of auditing this Christianity. I want to give you my whole body, mind, soul, spirit. I'm all in. Today's the day I am a living sacrifice. Will you say, yes, God, that's me? Um, maybe you pray, God, I want today to see your eyes on my situation. Change my view. God, what seems hopeless to me, let me believe that you are still a miracle-working God. If your marriage is in trouble today and you want to give up, God, I pray that you'd help me to humble myself and see what needs to change in me and work on my attitude and lead me to see things the way you see them. Yes, God, that's me. God, whatever uh, people are praying today, meet them here this morning. Cause them to grow like never before. Get us excited about what you're going to speak to us in just a few weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys, I love you. Keep coming back. God bless you. Come on, let's give uh, Pastor Darren another round of applause as God shared an awesome message with him. And, and after a sermon like that, after a message like that, it's... it's uh, it's amazing to be reminded that God still uh, takes broken pieces and makes masterpieces. And uh, that's what God is trying to do with each of us. Broken pieces in different areas of our lives. And, and that's why this, this, new, this new initiative, this new initiative.